0: If you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verses 10 to 20, and if you can choose your app, we're going to be looking at the New International Version, and it's going to be on the screen behind me as well. But Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20, this is the reading of God's Word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Let me say a quick prayer for us. Spirit, may the words of my mouth the meditations of my heart Be pleasing to you. As the Apostle Paul also asked, uh, would you give me words that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it fearlessly today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, Well, as you know, we are currently in a series on the Holy Spirit, the forgotten and often misunderstood member of the Trinity. And uh, I mentioned this in week one, and I talked about how churches often neglect talking about the Holy Spirit because we have a framework to talk about God the Father and God the Son, right? Because we're all familiar with fathers and sons, Uh, but we don't have that same framework. We don't have the language often to talk about the Spirit and the spiritual realm in general, especially uh, here in the West. We're living in the post-Enlightenment era where there is this huge emphasis on rational thought, on things that can be understood logically and scientifically. Uh, Any conversation that about the spiritual realm can just feel a little bit uh, like mystical, uh, can feel a little weird. You know, if if someone just starts talking about spirits and demons, uh, I'm sure that would weird a lot of us out. And it's interesting because Um, You know, here in the West, that kind of conversation and that kind of language often breeds so much skepticism and suspicion. But what most people don't realize is that for most of human history and even in most parts of the world today outside of the West, they would look at us as being really strange that we don't talk about the spiritual realm. Like they would look at us for denying the the presence of a spiritual realm and denying the presence of anything that we can't see, touch or feel. And I think for, you know, I think to be honest, the reason why the past few years have been particularly hard for so many of us is that I feel like we're still trying to rationalize everything that's happened. You know, everything that happened in 2020, you know, we were, we, I mean, at some point, we had to realize that, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. You know, this was unprecedented. And yet we're still trying to wrap our minds around it. We're trying to put natural explanations on unnatural occurrences. And at some point, we have to ask ourselves, if we are so enlightened, if we're so technologically advanced, how come we can't figure out a way to get people to stop killing each other, to stop oppressing each other, right? Right now, we can communicate with people across the globe. We can, for some crazy way, get cars to drive themselves. Okay, like my, my, my grandma is 94 years old, okay? And she was born in 1928. And so like, when I talk to her, I realize how like different our world is. You know, like when I tell her what my phone can do, I mean, it just, it's, it's un, unfathomable, right? And yet for all of our technological advancement, for all of our enlightenment as a civilization, we in 2022 for some reason can't stop a person from walking into a school and shooting up a classroom full of children why i think there's something deeper i think we have to admit that there's something darker there's something more insidious that there is a pervasive evil all around us that's outside of our control have you ever wondered why as a culture as rational as we are we're still obsessed with horror movies and Ouija boards and ghost stories, right? Because I think in all of us, there's this inherent pull toward the spiritual realm. But the thing that these movies and and stories allow us to do is they allow us to keep them around campfires. They allow us to keep them out there to leave the spiritual realm behind. They allow us to kind of dabble in the spiritual realm, but keep them at an arm's distance. And what the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6 is trying to get the church to see is that you can't leave the spiritual realm behind, that we are in a constant battle with who he calls the rulers, the authorities, and the powers of this dark world. It's what many of us would refer to as spiritual warfare. Now, if you're new to Christianity, maybe it's the first time hearing that phrase spiritual warfare. If you've grown up in the church like me, this is a phrase that gets thrown around a lot. Okay? And I would say usually people use this phrase in one of two ways. Sometimes people use the phrase spiritual warfare to uh, describe really like intense uh, experiences of the supernatural, right, exorcisms, demon possessions. You'll hear stories of how people's like voices change and get all gurgly. You know, their eyes roll back. You know, they they start screaming. They start speaking in a weird language. They seem to not have any control over their body, right? Um, If you go out to missions, have ever been out to overseas missions, uh, these are stories that you'll hear all the time, okay? Um, I went to a mission trip uh, when I was a junior in college. Uh, We went to Russia, and one of the first things that happened when we got there uh, was there was a baptism happening at a beach, and uh, our team was all there, and the pastor of the church in Russia that we were serving uh, took this guy out into the water to be baptized, right? It was a beautiful moment. Uh, they're out in the water, and, and all of a sudden, you just hear the guy uh, before his baptism just starts screaming at the top of his lungs, and he just starts wailing on the pastor, okay? Um, I was like, and they got weird customs here in Russia, okay? Um, I was like, what is going on? And um, out of nowhere, I hear all these pastors start yelling, it's a demon. You know, the, the guy is demon-possessed. Start praying, right? And I, I'm a college student. I'm 20 years old. I get on all fours, and I, I start praying. And I'm, I'm not even praying for the man. I'm praying for myself, right? Because I'm like, this is not what I signed up for. I came here to do some skits and some body worship, you know, I wasn't here to do some, like, like, demon exorcisms, I don't know what's going on, I was like, Lord, please help me, um, and I, I'm down, I'm like, my head in the sand, and 20, 30 minutes go by, and, you know, I, uh, and thankfully, they say that the demon has been exorcised, and, um, you know, he, the, the man looks exhausted, he's hunched over, um, we go through with the rest of the baptism, and like the pastor, it looked like the, for the pastor that was like a Tuesday, okay? Like he, he had done this before. Uh, if you're visiting our church for the first time, you're like, I am never coming back to this church again. What are they talking about? Um, but, but anyways, um, I think some of us, when we think of spiritual warfare, we think of things like that, okay? I think others of us, when we use that phrase spiritual warfare, we almost use it too flippantly, right, to describe anything and everything that happens in our lives that's bad right you get food poisoning and you're like the devil's out to get me and it's like no like you just didn't wash your vegetables right like you know uh, when i'm driving and like i almost die in an accident i'm like the it's the enemy and my wife is like no no it's it's your driving okay like um and so Uh, So on one hand, you have this version of spiritual warfare that limits it to just these intense supernatural moments. And on the other hand, you have this view of spiritual warfare that basically ascribes everything and anything to it. And I'd say both views kind of minimize what spiritual warfare is and really make it easy for us to ignore it. But what's the famous line in the movie The Usual Suspects? The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. And what Paul is trying to get his readers to understand is that not only does the devil exist, he is constantly scheming against you. There is no space in which the devil is not working to sabotage God's purposes in our lives. 1 Peter 5, 8-9 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We can't even get to anything today unless you and I understand that we are at war. Contrary to popular belief, the Christian life is not a light stroll through a garden. It's a war with an enemy who never sleeps, with an enemy who is always plotting and prepping to steal, kill, and destroy, with an enemy who would want nothing more than for your marriage and for your friendships to fall apart with an enemy who would want nothing more than for you to continue to doubt yourself and to doubt God, who would want nothing more than to keep you in bitterness and resentment. And the scary thing is that most of us don't even realize it. Most of us are so comfortable and complacent in our lives that we don't even know we're in a war. You know, what's very interesting is that on the first pages of the Bible, in Genesis 2, God creates Adam and Eve. And when he he creates Eve, um, it says that I want to make a helper suitable for the man, right? And that word helper is the, is the Hebrew word azer. okay? And it's a word used of God in the Old Testament, and that should show us that uh, women were never meant to be subordinate to men, that this was meant to be a partnership all along. But one thing a lot of people don't realize is that word azer is also a word in the Old Testament used to describe the powerful nations that would come to Israel's help in times of war. And what this means is that from the very beginning of the Bible, the picture we have is not a man and a woman frolicking in a garden. The picture we have is a man and a woman, two warriors standing side by side prepared for battle. Life is a battle. And if we are not aware that at this very moment there are evil forces advancing to destroy us, you and I are already dead. There's that famous Chinese proverb that it's better to be a warrior in a garden than it is to be a gardener in a war. And friends, we are at war. But not the kind of war you might think. And Christians throughout history have really messed this one up right? Um, They fought wars that were not ever theirs to fight, and they've ended up doing a lot of damage in the process. Paul here says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, the devil is so good at what he does, even when we get to the point of acknowledging that we are in a war, he gets us to fight the wrong enemy he gets us to fight flesh and blood. He gets us to fight people. Right now, there are Christians all over America who would agree with the Apostle Paul that we're at war. The problem is, is that they believe that war is against Republicans or Democrats or liberals or conservatives Some of us in this room who are going through relational issues might point to a family member or a spouse or a friend as the source of all your problems. But you see, when you believe your fight is with flesh and blood or put another way, with people, you will do everything in your power to get rid of those people from your life. Those people will be the enemy and you will do everything you can to rid the world of those people. But Paul is pleading with the church saying, wake up. Don't you see what the enemy is doing? You think you're so smart. The enemy is smarter than you. And the enemy is getting you to work for him by convincing you that your fight is with flesh and blood. You think your fight is with your difficult coworker you can't stand. So, this is what happens you go to work, coworker pisses you off. You go home, and you're driving in the car, and you're angry, and you're bitter. And that bitterness and resentment begins to build over time. And so then you come into work the next morning, you can't even look at your coworker in the face. You start smugly smiling when that coworker fails or drops the ball. Then you start using every opportunity you can to talk behind that coworker's back, to make sure that coworker, make sure everyone in the office knows how bad that coworker is, and to get everyone in the office as angry and bitter and resentful as you are. And all of a sudden you've created a toxic work culture. And yet we think we're fighting with flesh and blood. No, the enemy is like, my job here is done. This is what I wanted. After this series, we're going to do a series on the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit that the Spirit in us produces in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Right? And the telltale sign, let me tell you, that you are fighting the wrong enemy right now is when your fight, no matter how noble or righteous you think it may be, no matter how justified you may feel you are in what you, what you are thinking or how you're acting, you'll know you are fighting the wrong enemy when your fight doesn't produce more love but produces more hate. When your fight doesn't make you a more gentle person but makes you a more abrasive person. When you feel your emotions getting out of control, when you become less patient, when you're less at peace… That's when you know you're not fighting against the powers, you're fighting for the powers. You're becoming the very people you don't want to be. When Jesus came on the scene, you have to understand that what everyone wanted him to do was overthrow the Roman Empire. They were like, finally, the Messiah is here. Stick it to the man. Give the oppressive Romans exactly what they deserve. And this is why people were so angry and so confused when he didn't do that. Because Jesus understood that his fight, his struggle, was not against flesh and blood. This is why on the cross, Jesus never curses the Romans who crucify him. He never says, give these people who are mocking me right now what they deserve. You know what Jesus says? He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is how Jesus disarmed the powers and stopped working for them what the enemy wanted more than anything. And Jesus, Jesus had every right to be bitter and upset. He had every right to be bitter and upset at his friends who abandoned him on the darkest night of his life when all he said was, pray for me. They couldn't do it and they fell asleep. He had every right to hold a grudge against them. But you know what he does? He says, I'm not fighting for the powers. I'm going to disarm them. I'm going to empty myself. Jesus said, more violence is not the answer, more resentment is not the answer. Forgiveness, love, compassion, these things disarm the powers. When you forgive someone who you feel doesn't deserve forgiveness, you disarm the powers. When you willingly love someone who is so difficult to love, you disarm the powers. When you show restraint and self-control, when you know you could go off on this person, you disarm the powers. And I know, like, this language of powers and evil forces and, you know, spirits, this can sound really mystical, but let me break it down for you like this. When I say we are disarming the powers, we are resisting the powers, what I really mean is that we are resisting lies. We are resisting lies. And let me explain. The Bible calls the devil the father of lies. Jesus in John 8 says this about the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. When he lies, he speaks his native language. If you remember in week two, I talked about how the Holy Spirit was described by Jesus as the spirit of truth. Jesus described himself as the way, the truth, And the life and so it makes sense that if the devil's job is to thwart everything the spirit is trying to do in your life it makes sense that the way the devil will do that is through lies so spiritual warfare let me demystify this for us more than anything is a war against lies put another way the enemy's primary mode of attack is getting you to believe lies Lies about yourself, lies about God, lies about those in your life. And often it's not even the circumstance or the season or the event. It's the lie that is the attack. Okay? A lot of times something happens to us and we say that's spiritual warfare. Oftentimes it's not that. Oftentimes it's the lie that the devil gets us to believe when those things happen to us. And the devil is so good because the devil is so subtle Sometimes he can make something feel like truth, okay? There's this game that I love to play called Mafia, okay? It is the devil's game, okay? It's where friendships go to die, okay? I've seen people swear on their mother's grave, and it's like, it's crazy what this game gets people to do, okay? I am I, scarily good at it, okay? I am. My wife is really bad at it, okay? When she's the Mafia, she's like, I wonder who the mafia could be, right? Like, I mean, it's obvious, okay? Um, But in this game, the goal is to get people, the goal is not just to lie, it's to be so subtle. You know, sometimes what a mafia has to do is sometimes turn in their own fellow mafia members, okay? That's when you're like really savage, right? And, And this is how, like, because you have to be subtle. Sometimes you have to use truth. Right, in order to build credibility. And this is what the devil does. When you go to the first pages of the Bible, Genesis 3, the devil doesn't get Adam and Eve to question the existence of God. You know what he says? He says, did God really say that? So he's like, oh yeah, yeah, I, I believe there's a God too. But did God really say not to eat from any tree in the garden? These subtle lies making Adam and Eve question the goodness of God, making Adam and Eve question themselves. We all have vulnerabilities, and the devil is the master at identifying those vulnerabilities and exploiting them for his purposes, and nothing is off limits for the devil. The enemy will exploit every father wound, every traumatic experience, every broken promise to feed you lies about God and yourself. The enemy doesn't have a heart. He's a savage. He'll use everything to exploit you. You know, centuries ago, and this part might, you gotta follow me here, okay? Centuries ago, St. Thomas Aquinas, who was a philosopher and theologian, described what he called the three enemies of the soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil, okay? And this paradigm comes from Jesus' threefold temptation in the wilderness, and that, that could be a whole sermon series in itself. Um, But it also comes from Ephesians 2. So just four chapters before the text we're looking at today, and I'm going to put put this on the screen for you, where Paul writes this. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. Okay, so there's the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. There's the devil, right, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient all of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts you see the world the flesh and the devil the three enemies of the soul okay now this part can be a little bit confusing i know i just said that our fight isn't with flesh and blood and here paul makes it seem like the flesh is one of our enemies so which one is it okay in context when Paul talks about flesh and blood in Ephesians 6, he's talking about people, like literal people, flesh and blood. When Paul uses the word flesh in Ephesians 2, he's using it the way a lot of New Testament writers use it to describe the sinful desires and inclinations of our hearts that were, that were disordered when, we, when all of humanity fell okay paul uses the same language in galatians when he contrasts living by the spirit and gratifying the desires of the of the flesh okay and this is so important okay we have to get this because right now we're living in a culture where everyone says you do you just be yourself do whatever you feel do whatever you want to you be the arbiter of right and wrong and yet in the bible more often than not we see the opposite we see commands to put to death the deeds of the flesh, to die to ourselves, to lose our lives, to save it. And so the devil is constantly working in conjunction with the flesh and the world to sabotage God's purposes in our lives. Maybe this will help. John Mark Comer in his book, Live No Lies, talks a lot about this. I would highly recommend it. And he offers a paradigm using the three enemies of the soul that I'll put up here. And this is basically... He talks about how the spiritual powers, okay, and the forces of evil infiltrate our lives. He says it's through deceptive ideas, lies, the devil, okay, that play to disordered desires, the flesh, that are normalized in a sinful society, the world, okay? And so let me kind of give a specific, a general example and then a more specific example. Let's take racism, Racism is a social construct which started really with a lie, with a deceptive idea, the lie that there isn't enough resources to go around so some people have to lose in order for others to win, that life is a zero-sum game, right? And all of a sudden now you had people being like, okay, if if there's a scarcity of resources, how do I grab as much power uh, as I possibly can? Well, I got to do that by keeping certain people down and elevating others all of a sudden now that lie is playing to our disordered desire toward power and control. And once that disordered desire began to take shape in enough people, those people began to keep certain people down and elevate others and even create systems, elaborate systems, to keep that power and do so. And it's this vicious cycle that repeats over and over again. Let me give you a more individual example. Let's say you have a friend who makes an offhanded comment that upsets you. Devil is going to be right there whispering lies in your head. You don't deserve this. Who does she think she is? Which now will start to play to your propensity toward pride, toward resentment. And it's not like the world is going to stop you from going to the darkness because the world loves drama. And this cycle repeats over and over and over again. And all of a sudden, we start losing. This is how subtle... The devil is and to be honest when all is said and done you and i don't stand the chance we are outmatched there is no strategy no plan that can outsmart the devil he is too good at what he does like last night i looked over my sermon notes one last time i was like okay i think we're good to go i woke up this morning to a barrage of text messages about, like, like s- staff members being like, we don't have the parking lot. Oh, my gosh, do we have volunteers? We're, we're, we're running thin. It's so easy. And now, like, like in my mind, like, the devil's like, get mad at the school. This is their fault. You know, get mad at the people who come, come out to church who aren't volunteering. This is their fault. Right? And I'm like, no, it's happening to me. Okay? It's so easy easy and it's so instantaneous and when you leave this auditorium you're just going to be bombarded by thoughts and emotions and comments and we don't stand a chance so what do we do well what does paul tell us to do he opens this section by saying be strong in the lord and in the power of his might not believe in yourself not you got this Trust in the power of your might. No, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Run to God because you don't have the strength to fight this enemy. But there is no enemy too powerful, too great for the Spirit of God. When I learned Ephesians 6 in Sunday school, I always imagined myself like putting on this bulky armor, right? There were songs about it. You know, you put on the breastplate of righteousness and talk about the armor, But Paul, when he talks about putting on the armor of God, he's actually not talking about us like getting strong. He's actually referencing Isaiah 59, 17, that talks about the armor God puts on himself. In Isaiah 59, 17, it says, he, God, put on righteousness as his breastplate. And the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. So really what Paul is saying in Ephesians 6 is you need to put on God. You don't need to believe in yourself. You need to put on God if you want to stand firm and resist this enemy. You need God to fight for you. No matter how, you know, um, like this like blew my mind, okay, because there is this aspect of putting on God, I think, that we, you know, a lot of times you grow up in the church, right? And, you know, we were told, you got to do this, you got to serve. We grew, a lot of us grew up in legalistic church environments where they say, if you want to be loved by God, do X, Y, and Z. And so we moved away from that, and then we came to churches because churches said, it's all about grace. Just, you don't need to do anything, right? Just, just live your life as is, and it'll be fine. And I love how Paul, like, frames this analogy, He says, you still have to put something on, but what you're doing is putting on God. And what that means is, how are you organizing your life intentionally in a way so that the Spirit can fight for you? How are you fighting for time with God? How are you fighting to keep God front and center how are you intentionally incorporating spiritual rhythms and practices that combat the lies the devil tries to put in your mind because let's face it if our entire week is just social media on our phones the devil is going to have a field day because he's going to infiltrate our minds and our hearts easily you know do you know why we do confession at our church each week It's not because we want all of you to feel bad about yourselves for a few minutes a week. It's because every week, the devil whispers in our ear that if people just really knew who you were, nobody would love you. If people knew who you were behind the smile and the accomplishments and all the accolades, they wouldn't love you. And that lie plays into our disordered desire to hide to mask our real selves. And the world just comes in and makes it so easy to do it through social media where we can put curated images and curated versions of ourselves and our families out there for everyone to see, and confession is our resistance. Confession is us putting on God to say, I'm going to enact something that allows God to speak truth into my life, that you are fully seen, fully known, and I still love you. When we practice Sabbath, you're not just taking a day off, you're putting on God. You're combating the lie that our world feeds us, that the devil feeds us, that says we need more, that you are what you do, that you are your accomplishments and your achievements. And Sabbath, when we take a day to do nothing, is our resistance to put on God. And this is why it's so fitting that the culmination of our passage today is verses 18 to 20, where Paul says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. You get all this armor on, and now pray. Run to God. Depend on God to do what you cannot do. You know what the most beautiful sight for me this morning was? I came to church, I parked my car, and all the staff, we were, I mean, everyone was, like, running around like, like chickens with their head cut off, right? I mean, I was texting people, like, mad, you know, we were trying to get in touch with people that were at the parking lot, people on the other side of the campus, and it was wild. And I look over to my left, and there's been a group of um, people who've been coming to church early to pray for our service and to cover our service in prayer. And they were smiling and they were praying, and they were at peace. And I was like, that's what it looks like to put on God. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of so much uncertainty, to carve out space to pray, to say, we can't win this fight without you. When the devil whispers in your ear and says you're not enough, we have to pray. And we have to ask the Spirit to remind you that you're created in the image of God, precious in his sight. When the devil whispers in your ear and says, doesn't it feel so good to hold that grudge? We have to pray and ask the Spirit to show us Jesus, who didn't count our sins against us, but instead gave his life for those who wronged us. When the devil whispers in our ear and says, are you sure God will provide for you and your family? Things are looking bleak. Are you sure you don't need to take matters into your own hands? Ask the Spirit to remind you of a God when it looked like the whole world was going to hell, when it looked like everything was bleak, stepped into time and space, stepped into the mess and dealt with it himself. We need the Holy Spirit to fight for us. It's like that final battle scene in the movie Endgame, right? If you've ever watched a YouTube video of the live audience reaction on opening night of Endgame in that final scene when the Avengers are like dead in the water and they're facing Thanos and he's just too powerful, right? And then you hear, on your left. And then everyone's like, yeah! You know, it's like, 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 are you in the war or like what? You know, it's like, There's something that happens, and I get chills. I get goosebumps when I think about it, right? It's like, you know, go watch the YouTube video, okay, after church. Okay, you will get chills too. People are just losing their minds in the theater because they know what's happening. They know that in the next two minutes and 15 seconds, the entire MCU is going to assemble to defeat Thanos, to to, to defeat this unstoppable evil power, The whole point of why we gather for worship every Sunday is so that when we are overwhelmed with life, when we're overwhelmed with parenthood and marriage and thinking about career and difficult coworkers and relationships and family, the enemy begins to circle us, begins to fill our minds with lies, getting ready to devour us. And the songs that we sing together in community the word that we hear preached, the community who stands side by side with us, we gather here so that in that moment the Holy Spirit would say, On your left. And we look up and we see Calvary. We see Jesus hanging on a cross, crucified for our sins, conquering the unbeatable sting of death. And Jesus saying, it's finished. I, I got this. I did this. So you don't have to. You have nothing to prove. You have nothing to protect. You have nothing to preserve. I got this. And so what we want each week is asking the Holy Spirit to take and direct our attention, our thoughts, and our gaze away from the lies of the enemy and place them toward Calvary, where Christ was crucified and conquered death once and for all. Let's pray. Can we just take a brief moment? And I want you to ask yourself this simple question. What is the lie that the enemy has you believing right now? What is the lie that the enemy has you believing right now? Maybe it's that you're not loved, that you will not be provided for. Maybe it's that you're not worthy, you're not enough. this moment i want you to ask the holy spirit to remind you of jesus who dispels every lie Spirit, on the authority of Christ Jesus, this is death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. I just want to take this moment to speak against every lie that the enemy has the brothers and sisters in this room believing. The insidious lies. All the ways that the devil has gotten a foothold in our lives. Through our circumstances, through this season in our life, through a particular person or a particular relationship, we speak out against those lies. And we look to Jesus, who, because of his great love for us, while we were yet sinners, died for us, who laid down his life that we would know that we're forgiven. That were cleansed, that were deeply loved and cherished and taken care of. And I pray for your spirit of peace and comfort to permeate this room, to permeate all of our hearts. That we would put on God now and resist the schemes of the evil one. Deliver us, Lord. we love you, we worship you, we thank you that you have won, that the victory is yours. In Jesus' name, amen.